Welcome listeners to another episode of Just an Avocado White Woman. Today, we are delving into an eye-opening exploration of the true cost of fast fashion. Stick with me as we uncover the environmental, social, and economic impacts of this industry and discuss how we can make more sustainable choices in our everyday lives. While you would never think of it when you go shopping, fashion is the number two polluter of the planet. The number one polluter is still oil. Let's kick things off by examining the shift in production dynamics within the fashion industry. In the 1960s, a staggering 95% of clothing was produced statewide. Fast forward to today, and only 3% is produced domestically, with a whopping 97% outsourced. The consequence? A constant influx of new fashion seasons, with a higher and higher demand on production and less attention on the infrastructures and working conditions, leading to tragic incidents like the Rana Plaza building collapse in Bangladesh in April 2013, where 1,134 lives were lost and over 2,000 injuries were reported. This was not the first tragedy at the plaza, nor would it be the last. Among the 40 million garment workers worldwide, 4 million are based in Bangladesh, where 85% are women. Acker, a brave worker, formed a union to demand better work conditions. Sadly, her efforts were met with violence as managers attacked and beat protesting workers. The average wage in Bangladesh, less than $3 a day. Female workers, particularly in developing countries, are routinely exploited due to their vulnerable positions. Issues such as unsafe working conditions, lack of job security, and limited access to healthcare and childcare disproportionately affect women in the fashion industry. For a $30.5 billion industry, you wouldn't think that there would be an issue with paying workers a fair wage. However, wage protests have been making headlines across Asia for years, with several countries responding to pressure from civic and worker organizations. In Taiwan, the Ministry of Labor announced a 4% increase in the minimum wage for 2015, a move that's more than double the expected inflation rate. Meanwhile, in mainland China, minimum wages are on the rise in various provinces and cities. Similar trends are observed in Vietnam, Thailand, and Indonesia. However, the most significant victory for workers' protests is in Cambodia, where textile workers successfully persuaded major international fashion brands to agree to a nearly double minimum wage increase of $177 a month. Unlike other Asian countries, where government-mandated minimum wage hikes are common, the agreement in Cambodia is between worker organizations and the brands themselves. This unique approach aims to force the government to raise the minimum wage overall. The Coalition of Cambodian Apparel Workers Democratic Union, or CCAWDU, continues its activism, despite facing challenges, including soldiers armed with loaded rifles at peaceful rallies. Cambodia has become a crucial center in the minimum wage debate due to the government's resistance and its low minimum monthly wages compared to other top clothing producers globally. 
The protests proposed a wage increase of $133 per month, equivalent to $1,596 per year for approximately 50,000 workers in the textile industry. The total cost of this proposed increase amounts to $80 million annually. In contrast, the combined profits for major clothing companies reach a total of approximately $27.2 billion, including H&M with $7.2 billion, Zara with $4.4 billion, and The Gap with $15.6 billion. The wage increase, constituting just three-tenths of a percent of the company's total profits, raises considerations about the proportionality of a worker's compensation relative to corporate earnings. Behind the scenes, factories in Cambodia aren't officially owned by the brands these workers are protesting. The government, overlooking human rights violations to retain these factories, prioritizes economic gains. However, recent actions by major brands such as Next, New Look, CNA, H&M, Inditex, and Primark indicate a growing concern about the ethical situation in Cambodia, with five killed, 40 injured, and 23 arrests made during protests the fashion industry faces a critical moment. The brand's decisions reflect their commitment to ethical practices, influencing where they place orders, sourced goods, and employ people in the future. Now, shifting our focus to the impact of fashion on agriculture, we find ourselves in Texas where 3.6 million acres of cotton are grown annually, with 80% genetically modified. Organic options may be a way to make a difference, but organic cotton would need to be more widely adopted across the board for this to be true. Across the world, the conventional cotton industry in India faces many challenges. Monsanto, the largest seed and chemical corporation globally, introduced BT cotton into the region, promising to reduce pests. However, the reality is a 17,000%. Let me repeat that again. A 17,000% cost increase, leading to higher pesticide use and devastating consequences in the Punjab region. The ripple effects are tragic, with higher rates of birth defects, physical handicaps, an alarming number of farmer suicides, over 250,000 recorded from 1999 to 2015. Dr. Singh sheds light on the health impacts of Monsanto's products, linking them to the region's higher birth defects, cancers, and tragic suicides. These suicides occur when Monsanto comes to take the land due to the farmers not being able to pay the fees associated with the seeds and pesticides. They'll drink the pesticides as a last resort. The River Blue documentary takes us to China and Xingtang, which is now the largest exporter of genes worldwide. This only occurred after NAFTA, or the North American Free Trade Agreement, which was signed into law in 1994 and the factories were moved out of El Paso, Texas. 
To give some context on the amount of waste created from just one pair of jeans, for a pair of Levi 501 jeans, it'll take 920 gallons of water, 32 kilograms of CO2, and 400 megajoules of energy. Just one megajoule is roughly equivalent to the energy expended by a 60 watt incandescent bulb running for about 4.6 hours. So for a pair of jeans, this would be approximately 1,840 hours. So the water on earth is 97% saline, 2% ice, and 1% fresh water. That 1% fresh water is all that we have for drinking and all needs that we have as humans. The textile industry alone uses about 3.2% of water overall that we have available, and they pollute even more. The Li region in China has about 70% of its lakes and rivers contaminated by carcinogenic dyes. These dyes leave mercury, lead, and cadmium in the rivers. And these pervasive heavy metals pose significant threats to both human health and ecosystems. Each metal has distinct adverse effects. Exposure to mercury poses various health risks, manifesting in neurological effects as it acts as a neurotoxin, particularly impactful during prenatal exposure through contaminated fish consumption, leading to developmental issues in children. Additionally, chronic exposure to mercury is linked to cardiovascular diseases such as hypertension and an increased risk of heart attacks. The accumulation of mercury in the kidneys can result in dysfunction and damage over time, while high levels of ingestion cause gastrointestinal distress, including nausea, vomiting, and abdominal pain. Cadmium exposure presents its own set of health risks, including an increased risk of lung cancer through long-term inhalation. The metal accumulates in the kidneys, contributing to renal dysfunction and an elevated risk of chronic kidney disease. Chronic exposure to cadmium also leads to bone demineralization, causing osteoporosis and an increased risk of fractures. Inhalation of cadmium fumes results in respiratory issues such as coughing and difficulty breathing, negatively impacts reproductive health, potentially causing infertility and developmental issues in offspring. Lead exposure carries a range of detrimental effects, including potent neurotoxicity, especially harmful to developing brains, resulting in cognitive deficits, lowered IQ, and behavioral problems. Lead interferes with hemoglobin production, causing anemia, particularly in children. Long-term exposure leads to kidney damage and dysfunction, and elevated lead levels are associated with increased blood pressure and a higher risk of cardiovascular diseases. Reproductive issues, including fertility issues and adverse pregnancy outcomes, are also linked to lead exposure. Furthermore, lead accumulates in bones and teeth, affecting density and development, while behavioral disorders, attention deficits, and learning disabilities in children are associated with lead exposure. The environmental impact of lead includes soil and water contamination, posing risks to ecosystems and wildlife. Nike, Adidas, Puma, Zara, H&M, 
and sheen are the largest contributors. These dyes are called persistent dyes. They never break down once introduced in the environment and can travel from China, where originally released in the environment, all the way around to Canada. Some of these dyes are actually banned in the US and the UK, but due to traveling in the water, we as consumers will still be exposed to them. These carcinogenic dyes disrupt hormones in fish and even have been known to change the sex of fish. Another city with a large amount of tanneries, Hazarabag, a division of Dhaka City in Bangladesh, faces severe pollution from the textile industry with the Burganja River incapable of sustaining life. Investigators have described it as oily and heavy, stating that it can be lit on fire due to the amount of pollution in it. There are no effluent treatment plants or ETPs by the tanneries. ETPs are both essential for removing pollution and reducing water waste. In Indonesia is Jakarta, its vibrant capital city. Running through Jakarta is a Chikardam River, which spans 200 miles and has become infamous for severe pollution. The riverbed harbors a toxic mix and off-gassing compounds further threaten the water quality. A concerning aspect is the presence of anonymous pipes clandestinely releasing pollutants into the water. These surface in unexpected locations along the river, often shared among different sources. Through an investigation done by Greenpeace, it was found that PT Gistex, a company in Bangdung, Indonesia, was found dumping pollutants, and the trail led to a connection with wool fashion giant Gap. Overall, the fashion industry is known to contribute 10% carbon emissions worldwide. In the Ganja region in Kampur is the leather export capital. And there is pollution from chromium-6 that affects drinking water, causing health issues and poor working conditions. You may be asking yourself, what is chromium-6? Chromium-6, also known as hexavalent chromium, is a toxic form of the element chromium. Exposure to chromium-6 can have various adverse effects on human health and the environment. Here are some of the key effects. Firstly, the inhalation of airborne chromium-6 particles is linked to an increased risk of lung cancer, while prolonged skin contact with chromium-6 can elevate the risk of developing skin cancer. Secondly, respiratory issues may arise from inhaling airborne chromium-6, leading to irritation of the nose, throat, and lungs, potentially causing conditions like asthma, chronic bronchitis, and nosebleeds. Thirdly, ingestion of water or food contaminated with chromium-6 can result in digestive system effects, including stomach upset and ulcers. Moreover, exposure to chromium-6 has been associated with adverse reproductive outcomes, contributing to developmental issues in infants and a potential impact on fertility. Direct contact with chromium-6 can cause skin irritation, redness, and ulceration, 
particularly relevant in occupational settings where workers may come in contact with chromium-containing substances. But it's not just about production. It's also about consumption by the Western world. Materialistic values fueled by propaganda advertising drive ultra-consumerism. The fashion industry produces a staggering 80 billion pieces per year, a 400% increase from two decades ago. And where does it all end up? Landfills, with 82 pounds of textile waste per person annually in the U.S. alone. This adds up to 11 million tons in the U.S. annually and 92 million tons globally. Most fabrics are non-biodegradable as they are a mix of fabrics destined to sit in landfills for astonishing 200 years. That's two centuries of environmental impact for the sake of fleeting fashion trends. As pointed out in Unravel, The Life and Death of a Garment by Maxime Bidet, the fashion industry has deep-rooted misogynistic tendencies and stark gender disparities that exist among its workforce and decision makers. Despite the fact that significant majority of both workers and consumers in the fashion industry are women, men disproportionately hold positions of power, control, and influence, particularly at higher managerial and executive levels. Women often find themselves underrepresented in top leader positions within fashion companies. Boards of directors, CEOs, and executives are frequently dominated by men. This lack of female representation in decision-making roles perpetuates gender imbalances and limits the perspectives that shape the industry, including marketing, which then perpetuates harmful stereotypes and unrealistic beauty standards for women. Women are frequently objectified and portrayed in ways that reinforce traditional gender norms, contributing to a culture that places higher value on physical appearance rather than individual capabilities and achievements. Fashion marketing often targets women, promoting the idea that constant consumption of new clothing is necessary for self-worth and societal acceptance. This consumerism can be seen as a form of exploitation as the industry profits from reinforcing gendered expectations about appearance and self-esteem. In the Sheen documentary, they admit that all of their trends are based off of recent buys. They follow the algorithms and they are turning out 1 million different garment types a year. You cannot turn out that many types of garments and be sustainable, but they have appealed to people because they are cheap and in our current climate, where wages have not kept up with inflation and we're caught with FOMO, they become popular. But as consumer awareness about sustainability grows, companies face the challenge of proving the authenticity of their eco-friendly claims. The Europe Union's Green Claims Collective aims to enforce transparency, but it has inadvertently given rise to green hushing, the practice of companies staying silent about their environmental efforts. Coined by consulting firm Treehugger in 2008, green hushing gained renewed attention through a 2022 survey by South Pole, revealing that a significant portion of companies refuse to disclose their emission reduction plans. While companies may cite fear of criticism or uncertainty as reasons for green hushing, 
experts warn that this could potentially open the door for more greenwashing. Australia's corporate watchdog, ASIC, emphasized that claiming regulatory constraints as a reason for silence is merely another form of greenwashing. The impact of green hushing extends beyond businesses, affecting consumers' ability to make informed choices about their purchases. The silence of companies on climate change, termed, quote, concerning, in a South Pole report is seen as hindering progress and inspiration for others in the industry. As we navigate the landscape of sustainability, it is crucial to be aware of both greenwashing and its quieter counterpart, green hushing. The dynamics of used clothing networks differ significantly from traditional trade patterns as they involve a reversal of commodity flow. While new clothes are predominantly manufactured in low-income countries such as China and Bangladesh, the trade in used clothing operates in the opposite direction, from affluent regions to impoverished areas. This creates a unique system where secondhand garments circulate from wealthier nations to those with fewer resources, presenting an alternative and distinctive aspect of the global trade landscape. Clothing recycling, often marketed similarly to regular recycling, faces challenges. The clothing deficit myth, the belief that when we donate clothes that they will go to somebody that is in need locally, and clothing charities play a large role in this. In reality, only 10% of donated items are sold locally, while the rest is shipped to developing countries like Haiti and Africa, where it is sold to middlemen in a third world country, and what can't be sold is shredded for paint cloths and insulation. In Toronto alone, 200,000 pounds of textile waste are generated weekly, and Britain is one of the largest exporters of secondhand clothes. Retail giants like H&M claim to recycle all clothes, but the reality is different. Blended fibers make recycling difficult, and only 1% of donated clothes can be recycled due to blended fibers, leaving the majority to end up in landfills. In Nairobi, Kenya, the used clothing industry is a billion-dollar business, with some items ending up being burned, which releases toxic chemicals. However, there are positive initiatives. In India, they recycle 100,000 tons of clothes back into thread. They meticulously sort colors, remove zippers, and transform the garments into new threads used to create carpets, which are then sent back to the U.S. as revealed in the documentary Unravel. In Ghana, the used clothing industry has become a double-edged sword. Importers take significant risk as they sell to marketers, and local textiles have fallen by 75%. Dangerous waste piles that increase by 160 tons a day and burning practices contribute to environmental degradation. Rainwaters wash textiles into the sea and onto beaches, creating long entangled masses that are dangerous for both swimmers and boats. Shifting gears, let's explore the Green Carpet Challenge, or the GCC, and its impact on sustainable fashion. In 2010, the GCC disrupted traditional fashion by bringing sustainable concept from upcycling 
to regenerative materials to major fashion showcases worldwide. The GCC has evolved into a movement and educational tool inspiring positive change in the fashion industry. Kelly Drennan has been a great contributor to this concept and change. Her thoughts on sustainable fashion are about making conscious choices and supporting brands that prioritize quality and durability. They focus on the seven R's instead of just three. The seven R's of fashion are reduce, reuse, and recycle, which I believe we're all familiar with, but then they also add four more, repurpose, repair, rent, and resale. The seven R's provide a roadmap for consumers and businesses to make responsible choices, ultimately reducing the environmental impact of the fashion industry. The GCC also has a school program called My Clothes, My World, which engages students in grades four to 12 on the impacts of fashion. They're playing the long game, shaping future consumers and climate leaders who make informed decisions. On a positive note, some companies are making steps towards sustainabilities. The research I found indicates that both companies have now dissolved. Intel Denim in Italy, while they were in operation, reduced water usage by 80%, while Genologia in Spain used lasers for distressing jeans and converted O2 to O3 for the stonewashing process, eliminating byproduct water waste. As consumers, we do have the power to make informed choices. One of the most important things you want to look for when buying clothes is what the fabric is. Blended fabrics like acrylic, nylon, and polyester are the worst for the environment as they don't break down. Stick with items that are made of one fiber like cotton or wool. You should also be conscious of where the product is coming from as much as you can be. Companies like Swallows, Patagonia, and People Tree are leading the way in their fair trade practices. When you decide to buy from a company, you can do the research to find out where your clothes are coming from. Let's start with Swallows. In the village of Tanapara, located on the borders of Bangladesh, the organization Tanapara Swallows operates a garment workshop employing local women. The organization produces cotton clothes for prestigious brands under fair trade principles. The production process, marked by manual labor and traditional tools like wooden looms and pedal sewing machines, follows strict fair trade standards. Tanapara Swallows is a significant employer in the area, providing paid job opportunities for around 200 women in the workshop and an additional 100 working from home. The organization also runs development projects, including a nursery and elementary school, contributing to local communities' growth. The products go through an intricate process involving dyeing, weaving, and sewing, with quality control performed by the oldest employee. Despite the low wages in the garment industry, Tanapara Swallows pays workers based on productivity, allowing skilled workers to earn more. The organization follows a community-oriented management approach, involving workers in decision-making and sharing earnings and services. Although the working conditions may not align with Western standards, 
Ongoing improvements are attributed to dialogue between management and employees, independent controls, and adherence to fair trade principles. Patagonia, known for its commitment to environmental responsibility, focuses on repairing products to increase longevity and reduce its carbon footprint. The company's corporate philosophy, 100% for the planet, reflects its dedication to environmental causes. Patagonia uses green branding to connect with its eco-conscious target audience, and the company is transparent about areas needing improvement. PeopleTree is a fair trade brand in Japan founded by Sophia Mini. PeopleTree operates as a social business aiming to generate income for disadvantaged individuals, protect the environment, and advocate for change in business practices. The brand collaborates with producers in 15 developing countries, offering a range of products, including fashion, food, and handmade crafts. My Wardrobe HQ is actually a new form of sustainability that allows you to rent pieces from private party or rent out your own wardrobe. It's only available in the UK at the moment, but it's an interesting concept, much like renting out a tux for a wedding, but from private parties and not a company. Other great ways to get rid of clothes without them ending up in landfills is to do a friend or neighborhood clothing swap. You can donate to a reputable charity. Please do not use Goodwill Salvation Army. You can ask the charities what they do with the clothes if they don't sell them. They should be willing to tell you. Or you can donate to a homeless shelter. As we wrap up today's episode, it's clear that the true cost of fashion goes far beyond monetary value. It's a cost paid by the environment, workers, and communities worldwide. As consumers, we have the power to drive change by making informed choices and supporting brands that prioritize ethical and sustainable practices. Another aspect of this to think about is the free shipping and returns brands of fast fashion. Echo Chic Podcast does a great episode on it. It came out this past September. Please go give it a listen. Thank you for joining us on this journey into the true cost of fast fashion. Remember, every choice we make has an impact. Stay tuned for more episodes and don't forget to subscribe, rate, and share Just an Avocado White Woman. Until next time, take care and make conscious choices.